Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, welcome everyone to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I am thrilled to have Alberto Violdo on today. He's a PhD trained as a psychologist and medical anthropologist and has studied the healing practices of the Amazon and the Andean shamans. Dr. Violdo directs the Four Winds Society, where he trains individuals in the US and Europe in the practices of shamanic energy medicine. And Dr. Violdo has written more than 20 best-selling books, including Shaman Healer Sage, Grow a New Body, and Power Up Your Brain. And today we're going to talk about his latest book, The Wisdom Wheel, The Mythic Journey Through the Four Directions. Welcome, Alberto. Thank you, Michael. Good to be with you again. Absolutely. I can't even finish one book, and here you are, 20 of them. How is this book different than the last 20, and what called you to write yet another book? Well, every book is different because it's a different time we're living in. And part of my, my focus has been to expand the field of shamanism. In America, we think shamanism is just shaking our rattle and feathers and dealing with the spirit world. But shamans were the first brain scientists. Mm. They are master herbalists. They know the way of the plant medicines. They also know the ways beyond death. They're the ultimate psychopomps, the guides to the to the infinite. So the, um, you know, and I came from a fairly traditional training in, in shamanism, spending years, decades in the Amazon and the Andes. I, I worked with the, with the native peoples and I saw that they had, they were, they, were, they were time masters. They knew how to time travel, how to visit events that occurred in the past and how to nudge destiny. So each one of the books has a slightly different focus but the new one is that it's no longer about me, but it's now about we. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say something about that because so many people are looking to fix themselves. Like, you know, I'll do my shamanic practices or my meditation or these things as soon as I heal myself or as soon as I get better. And you really shift the focus on healing the earth as a context. And I think you said when we heal the earth we feel the repercussions in our own life. So that healing gets taken care of by looking at the larger picture. Well, totally. And let me give you an example of that. I remember when the book, remember when the book, The Secret came out. The Secret was about manifesting, creating your own reality, creating your own destiny. And it's true, it works, but it doesn't work that way. We got the directionality wrong. You first have to envision the entire planet and then the rainforest, and then your valley, and then your village, and your home, and then you. But if you go the other way around with me first, you don't get it. It doesn't come. you got to start with dreaming the entire world into being. 
And it's the same with our healing process. If I keep focus on what's keeping me from, what's blocking me, how do I heal my horrible childhood? We all had a horrible childhood. You don't heal your horrible childhood. You learn the lessons from it and you eventually practice gratitude to the people that hurt you so bad because you got to learn. So we got to go big and wake our, make our way back to the small instead of going small and trying to get big. And that's actually even the flaw with our Western science today because the shamans, the indigenous people understand that to, that to discover the workings of a blade of grass, they first have to understand the workings of the universe. And we believe that before we can understand the universe, we have to be able to explain how a blade of grass through photosynthesis transforms light into life and through osmosis brings water up from the roots. You know, that's going little and trying to get big. You can't get big from little. Hmm. So I hear you in a way I see you saying when when we connect to the mystery, to the larger unknown, and we are in service to that, automatically we have to naturally heal ourselves in order to be of service and to order to make a difference in the world with our life. And the other part that I was just thinking as you were saying that is that those people that hurt us and that ancestral lineage really in some ways give us our marching orders for the kind of difference that we are here to make in the first place rather than searching for a purpose that we're actually here to some purpose by healing that. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, that's a pretty complicated way of saying it, but that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to, get to, the, to get to the crux of it, it's in being of service to the world that we become healed. Okay. It's what Mother Teresa said. She went to Calcutta. She discovered the Hitler within her. She had to be of service. She didn't go into therapy. Granted, we all need a little bit of therapy. But here the summons is to dream a new world into being right now in the middle of this incredible extinction event that we're living through. And in doing so, we become empowered to become luminous beings. You access your infinite self, you're, you're in communion with all nature. And in doing so, you become healed to become enabled to dream a new world into being. It's pretty simple, really, yeah. but it begins, begins with the physical. you got to break free of the curses that we inherited, the generational curses, the dementia, the heart disease, the cancer, the stuff that comes from disconnection to nature. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the. We'll get into it in more detail, but talk a little bit about the lessons and the medicine of the four-direction medicine wheel that you talk about in the new book. You know, the medicine wheel is the core teaching practice of pretty much global shamanic traditions. It's the wheel of knowledge, the wheel of wisdom, the wheel of returning for the Buddhist. The, um, the four steps are represented by the four great power animals, by the serpent, the jaguar, the hummingbird, and the eagle. And each one of them has a unique wisdom that's offered to us to help us in our growth and in our healing and to empower us to be of service. Mm -hmm. So with the serpent, you begin with the serpent learning to shed the past the way the serpent sheds her skin. 
And this is all at once, not little by little, not trauma by trauma or lover by lover or crisis by all at once. Shedding the nightmare of human history, which has been the history of violence. But here we not only have to shed the personal, we also have to shed the historical, the baggage. For the indigenous people, for example, in Peru, they have to shed the conquest of the Spanish, the Spanish conquistadors. And you say, well, that happened 500 years ago. Well, it still lives within the Indio. And what we have to shed is the collective human history and foremost that history, that story of being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, being kicked out of paradise, being kicked out of the communion with God and with spirit and with the rivers and the trees. So that's our fundamental wound <clears throat> that we have to heal collectively. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, well... Let's talk, we haven't gone through all of them, but we can go through them one at a time. But let's, um, let's bring in the concept of Aini, the sacred reciprocity and how that relates to what we're talking about. Well, tell me a little more about that, Michael. How I see Aini? <laughs> well, my understanding of Aini, it's always a sacred, sacred reciprocity that like it's the word Ubuntu, in in South Africa that to recognize how our life and our survival and our well-being is tied up in your well-being and that there's always a reciprocal uh, relationship there. Yeah, as the fate of the earth goes, so goes our fate. Mm -hmm. And the uh, and Aini actually means many things in the Quechua language. One of them is sacred reciprocity. You have a reciprocal right relationship with your neighbors, with your with nature with the mountains with the earth and with your destiny so that if you don't say yes to the opportunities that destiny is offering to you then you're out of right relationship so for many of us that are listening to this program we look at the digital clock and we see that it's 444 or 333 or 111 right we get all all of these synchronicities and we say to ourselves well I'm really being cool. Look at this. I'm in perfect flow with the universe. And these things are actually moments when, when they say that synchronicity is God's way of remaining anonymous. But this is the way that spirit is saying, hey, there's a portal open. There's a doorway open for you. Take the gift. So we cannot just use it to pat ourselves in the back to say that we're in great Aini. Mm -hmm because this is destiny reaching back to us to invite us to a great act of power and a great act of courage and a great act of love. And the other translation of I need means yes, that you're always in a relationship of yes with life. Mm. But to go back to the, to, the, to the serpent power, this is what is required to awaken that power that in the East they call the Kundalini, the serpent power, you need to shed the old beliefs, the limiting beliefs about not being worthy, about being cast out of the garden, about being exiled from mother nature. So when you shed that, then the serpent power is awakened within you. And yeah. then you're ready to step into the Jaguar medicine. After you shed your past your history after you're 
after you're no longer in the grip of history. History is his story. You know, an interesting thing happened when we developed agriculture is that the poetry of the shamans, they were poets, was replaced by the prose of the farmers. And there you have the dawn of history, of his story, of the masculine story, but not the magical story. So that history is a collection of facts. Whereas what the shaman spoke around the fire was the legends, the lore, the myth, the magic, not the facts of who won what war, who, but this is what we lost, that we, what we lost with the coming of agriculture, as well as losing our health with the change in our diet, where we began to eat three grains instead of the 50,000 edible plants that we ate before that, we began to eat three grains that are not even green, which are rice and corn and wheat. But what happened is that we lost the magic. And in the West direction with the Jaguar, we're taking, taken back into the world of magic and to understand that the nature of the cosmos is magical. It is magical. Now you can try to have a factual relationship based on data and on scientific facts, but that's just a, that's just a little slice of the pie of what creation is about. And the Jaguar medicine is what takes you to explore the dark and hidden wisdom, the secrets, the sacred that has been kept hidden so it wouldn't get turned into a bunch of data and facts. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you discover the journey beyond death and beyond time. So entering the invisible realm. You enter the invisible realm. You enter the quantum field, Mm -hmm. which is that which is invisible, but which is the source of everything. Hmm. So um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is illness. So still kind of back in the first part here, you said something that illness doesn't exist. Sick people do. Can you expand on that? Yeah, you, you, you know, when you go out at night, you can see uh, Orion in the stars. You can, you can recognize Orion, right? Mm-hmm. With the belt, with the sword and the four points and the, that constellation. Pretty much everybody can. Do you recognize it, Mike? You got to check Orion out. <laughs> but once you learn to associate those four stars and the sword of Orion's belt, that's all you see. But if you ask an Andean person, they say, oh, no, those are the eyes of the Yama. Those upper two stars are the eyes of the Yama. So they see a different configuration. Now, we've identified diseases. Today, there are over 150,000 different illnesses identified which ways, with ways for treating them, medications that treat them. And this doesn't exist. This is fiction. Ill people exist. Diseases do not exist. They're a collection of stars that we attach a name to and that we attach a treatment protocol to because that's, the, that's big business. Big Pharma is funding all the scientific research in medicine today. And unfortunately, our doctors don't read science. Our doctors read medical journals that have studies that are funded by big pharma. 
So we have to throw out this whole notion of illnesses as being real. People, sick people are real, but illnesses are not. And the minute that we break free of that concept, we're able to set about creating the conditions for health. And then we discover that disease simply goes away. Create the conditions for health emotionally, spiritually, nutritionally, in your relationships with your body, with your friends, your loved ones, illness goes away. Hmm. And a big mistake that we make in the shamanic traditions in the West today, in the modern, the neo-shamans, is that we think that we can treat illnesses. You can't. You treat people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. If you go to the doctor, you know, doctors never ask you about your life or your history or your ancestors or, you know, it's just what are the or symptoms? Even, or even your diet. I took my dogs to the vet the other day. And the first thing she asked me is, what do you feed your dogs? Mm -hmm. I went to, I took my mother to the doctor. And the first thing that he asked was, what medication are you on? You know, if I get sick, I'm going to go to the vet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> One of the distinctions that I found powerful in Wheels in your book is the distinction between sight and uh, uh, seeing and vision, seeing and vision. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you know, it's, as I get older, my, my eyesight is not what it used to be, but my vision is opening up. And I have more lucidity and clarity in my vision than I ever did. Now, our sight is also conditioned by our beliefs. So this is what Werner Heisenberg told us a hundred years ago when he was saying that the electron is going to be where you look for it. Right. So that's where the wave packet of collapses and the electron is where you, where you look for it. And it's the same thing with our sight. We're seeing what we're trained to perceive. Mm -hmm. And when you wake up, when the, the rites of the shaman, they're called the Kawak rites of the Andes are the sites of opening up your vision. And you suddenly understand that, that, that the king has no clothes, that half of what we're being told are lies. If you, there's a great article written by the editors of the British Journal of Medicine and the AMA, American Medical Association Journal. The two of them, the chief editors wrote a piece saying that half of the articles that they publish are bogus, it's bad science. But of course, they don't know which half. <laughs> yeah. So we're living in a time when, when truth and lies are intermingled easily with each other, when we're, reality is what you, uh, is whatever your, your group, your belief group affirms it to be in politics or, or and um, the shaman has to develop this discerning vision for the underlying truth of reality and it's possible. And that's the shamanic premise is that you can perceive absolute truth and not relative truth any longer. Right. Yeah, I think, I think the whole area of trust uh, has been so eroded with these fake news and, and the science and the arguments about it that in order to trust, there's only one place to go, it seems, and that's inward 
That's and, inside, yeah. yeah. You know, did you remember that um, that article that was published recently about the, the Stanford University researchers 50 years ago that were funded by the sugar lobby to do studies to prove scientifically that sugar was good for you yes. and fats were bad. And for the next 50 years, we went on low fat diets and big sugar drinking. And of course, the, the big soft drink companies. And these are four Stanford University scientists funded by the sugar lobby, $60,000 they got and distorted the next 50 years of health in America. Yeah, yeah it's to amazing. Me, of course, we know the sugar is bad and fats are good for you, but wow. Yeah. So what do you believe in? And to do that, you're right. You've got to go within. You've got to trust your Jaguar instinct. This is Jaguar medicine. Jaguar tells you what's bullshit and what's real and, and what's true. And the minute you begin to perceive the truth and to speak the truth, the Jaguar also tells us that we live in such a magical world that everything you say becomes so. Yeah. Ah, you're co-creating already. So, so in the book and the wisdom wheel, I, I'm developing these, these deeper, deeper teachings of the, of the medicine way. And at a time when we need to come up with a new story for humanity with a new take on the human journey. Alberto, would you share a little bit with our listeners about the concept of the energy body and energy centers or chakras? I really loved one of the things that I learned in your book was the cleansing of the chakras by reversing the uh, direction of it. And I'd never heard that before it was, and I, I started doing it, it was very powerful. Yeah, it's a great practice to do in the morning in the shower. Um, you know, the um, people ask me, do shamans have chakras? I thought chakras were Hindu. And I asked them, do, do Africans have kidneys? I thought kidneys obviously are European. If they're part of your luminous anatomy, they're universal. And the chakras are seven energy centers that we have in the body. And so far, every one of our listeners can follow what I'm saying. But then if you look a little bit deeper, what creates a chakra? What are they? Are they mystical energy centers like you find in the Hindu texts? And the ancient Hindus were not, did not know neuroscience and they didn't know anatomy. And a chakra is created whenever you have an endocrine gland and a nerve bundle together, a nerve plexus and an endocrine gland that produces hormones. And we have seven of these conjunctions between endocrine glands and, and nerve plexuses in the body. And these sages of old tracked the body and they saw these wheels of light, these disturbances in the field that are created by these two very powerful communication centers. You have the, um, the nerve bundles that communicate electrically at the speed of light and the endocrine glands that make hormones that communicate slowly, chemically, speed of light, chemical communication, very powerful. All you need to 
if you remember when you your kids were teenagers, you know how intense these hormones are. <laughs> or when you were a teenager. So these were these are created by our anatomy and our physiology. And if we can cleanse the chakras, we reset the hormones in the body and we reset the nervous system. Wow, extraordinary. And when a shaman comes and works on one of your chakras, they're informing your brain and your nervous system and they're informing your whole endocrine, your whole glandular system, your growth hormones, your sex hormones, your repair hormones. Wow. Yeah, so we, could, we could do a whole show just on that. A, lo yeah. a lot of things to, to look at. Before we get into more depth about the, the wheel, I also wanted to ask about your statement about, which I totally align with, the reclaiming of the divine feminine at this time in history and in given all the things that are happening in our world. So maybe you could speak to that also. Well, you know, when I was an anthropologist in the Amazon, I was a young man freshly out of graduate school and there was a lot of terrorism happening in Peru. It was a shining path in the whole Amazon region. And naively, I thought, hey, there, there's no anthropologists there. They're all scared to death. And I speak Spanish, so I've got all this virgin territory open to me. And, um, and I learned that if you wanted to find out the belief systems of a community, and I was canoeing to villages that had never seen a light-skinned person before. And that you, all you needed to do was to ask them about the story of creation. How was the world created? And in telling you the story, you learn about the belief structures of that, of that culture, that community. Very powerful. And when you look at our story of creation, the first six pages of the Bible, you find that we were kicked out of the garden. And by the way, we're the only people in the world, the only society culture to be kicked out of the garden. Everybody else was given the garden to be the stewards and the caretakers of the garden, like the Native Americans. So as we're being cast out of the garden, before we get cast out, God is walking through the garden and he's calling for Adam and Eve and he's saying, where are you? What are you? Where are you? And he sees that they're hiding behind the bushes and he says, why are you hiding? And Adam says, because we are ashamed. So this is the very first emotion that we Westerners feel is shame. Hmm. Now, shame doesn't mean that you're, that you did something wrong. Shame means that you're that you're not good that you're bad not that you did something bad you are bad, bad. Yeah. and this is terrible this is the very fundamental emotion that we need to heal in the west and then we're being cast out of the garden and the voice says to the to the woman and cursed is the earth because of you woman and with in pain you shall bear children and then to the man the voice says and with the sweat of your back, you will grow, you will take your fruit from the earth and the earth will grow thorns and thistles for you. 
It always didn't say the earth will grow mangoes and papayas and strawberries, but thorns and thistles. So right at the beginning of our mythology, of our story of origin, we learned that the earth is cursed because of woman and that our mother, Mother Earth, is not going to support us. She's going to grow thorns and thistles for us. So we have a terrible relationship with the feminine from page one, actually from page three. So we need to recover that. We need to reclaim that notion of stewardship, the understanding that our mother wants us to be well, the earth mm. wants us to be well. She'll heal us if we return to her. We are the wayward children that need to make our way back to the mother. And once we do, then we'll find that the mother doesn't only take a deep interest in her species, but she wants the species to survive, but she takes a profound and personal interest in you and you and me. Mm -hmm. Wow, fantastic. Talk about healing. In fact, we don't need to spend so much time healing what happened to us when we were young and the traumas and when we were abused. We simply need to return to the mother and she helps us to get well. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, that whole original sin is a great way to control people, to justify the doctrine of, of discovery and taking people's land and, and collecting taxes, but not much for working together. Let's go a little bit in now, a little deeper into the different aspects, the four directions here. When looking at the serpent energy, you, you know, we're talking about shedding past stories. But say a little bit about how we can do that and, and about the Nagas and what they can teach us and, and the work to do with that kind of wounding. What are some of the practices that you recommend? And I know you use fire a lot. Yeah, you know, the, we know that the ancient brain, the Neanderthal brain, the limbic brain of the emotions, it needs ceremony in order to heal. Mm -hmm. So no amount of talk therapy, no amount of, of psilocybin therapy, unless you bring sacred ceremony to it, will allow us to truly break free from those stories of what happened to us. Now, the, the understanding here is that's important is that trauma, it's not what happened to you, but it's the way you remember it, the story that you wrap around it. And to write a new story, we need to go through a rite of passage. So this is a really important understanding for those of our listeners that are healers and are in the healing professions. You need to create sacred ceremony to help another person change. Now, when we, the seduction of working on ourselves, you know, there's nothing as as boring as meeting somebody in their 60s that's still working on their mommy and daddy issues. Mm -hmm. Because that's a way of postponing doing the really deep work of avoiding. I gotta work on myself before I can make a difference in the world. Of course you do, but you've gotta put all of that garbage in the garbage bin. And you do that through sacred ceremony, through fire ceremony. Put it in the fire, release it to the fire. And then find, the lessons, and here's the key, you got to find the lesson 
that the universe was offering you at that time, no matter how painful or how difficult. And when you find the lesson, embrace the lesson and practice gratitude, not towards the person that might have hurt you, but for the lesson that Cosmos was offering to you at that time. And then you've integrated, you've integrated the learning. You don't need to repeat the grade any longer. So that's number one. But the second part is that we have to really put into the fire all of the history of humanity because it's the history of violence, of greed, of destruction, of devastation, all of that we need to put in the fire and recover the nobility and the beauty and the generosity and the acts of courage and compassion that are our legacy. Right. There's so much in the collective trauma field, you know, whether it's slavery or, you know, taking different lands or atomic bombs or war, you know, that's all something that uh, is in the collective. It's a dominion of the the oppression of the few on the many. There may be of color, there may be women, Roe versus Wade. Look at that. It's extraordinary how... At this time, we're regressing. We're losing years and years of, of uh, progress in reclaiming the feminine. We're reestablishing the abusive masculine that can get away with anything at once because it has enough power that can that can that can uh, uh, that can continue abusing women and the feminine as a as something that's totally acceptable. Yeah, you can really see it on a global scale with the rise of of um, uh, fascism and and authoritarianism and the kind of last gasp of the patriarchy to to uh, be I in control. It, I hope it's the last grasp, but you know we'll see in the elections that are coming in the U.S. in a couple of years. Yeah, if we if we reestablish the the king that has been wounded in his groin and. Uh, and needs to really uh, abuse the power that he's the steward of. Yeah. You know, we're living in a very mythic cycle. And as you know, in the Andean prophecies of the Pachacuti that are about Jaguar medicine, about the death of an old culture and the dawn of a new one, it's important that we take part in these death rites that's yeah. happening for humanity right now. The rite of passage beyond death to that new humanity is what we're in the middle of. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about Jaguar medicine and the whole kind of leaping, as you said, out of the fear and, and that need to feel safe, you know, which is one of the first things as, as we're born, we need safety, we need nourishment, and nurturing. Talk about how the Jaguar medicine can help us to transcend those attachments and those beliefs that you're talking about and really step in to beyond the linear fear of death and the way that that shapes us. Well, I have my Jaguar here. I don't know yeah, if you I can saw see that. <laughs> so this is a very ancient Jaguar. It's about 2000 years old. It comes wow. from the Andes and it's an archetype. In the Americas, in, in South America, it's the Jaguar, North America, you have, you know, there's the panther, there's the, there are many other felines that are, that represent 
this ability to quantum leap. The Jaguar is the one who leaps beyond adversity, beyond death, is able to leap into who we're becoming without going through the intervening steps. That's able to bring about very dramatic, radical, and lasting change. And this is the medicine that's let, been let loose in the planet now. Mm -hmm. But the dark side of the Jaguar is the ferocity, the fierceness, the destructiveness that is associated with transformation, but it's the least desirable path. Mm -hmm. It's a path that Hindus talk about Kali, the return of Kali or Durga that comes to mulch and to, to wreak havoc. That's taking place right now as well in the planet, but we want to try to avoid that personally. We don't want to, we don't want to change, go through that. We don't want to be chewed up in, by the jaguar and have our bones crushed in the teeth of this feline. We want to walk across the back of the rainbow jaguar to get from this place in history to where we're becoming, who we're becoming in the future within our lifetimes. So the crossing has to be made. The way you accomplish it is up to you. And you can, and my mentor in the Andes used to say to me, Alberto, you can either walk across the back of the Jaguar or you will be crushed by her teeth and claws and and you will come out the other side of the Jaguar's Jaguar poop. <laughs> so you choose. <laughs> and to do that, we of course have to risk losing our sense of safety, which is to do with smallness and find a greater sense of safety in the mystery of the change that we're taking part in. So talk about banishing the big fear, the fear of death and how that relates to our relationship to time to move into from logos or linear time into this eternal time. What do you mean by that, Michael? Well, I mean that we think of ourselves as a certain period of time that I'm born and I'm gonna die. And then with trauma and things, we're, we're moving all the time fast because it looks like we only have so much time left. Like you and I are both in our seventies now, we're getting closer to the end. So that shapes our actions and how we relate to the mystery, how we relate to life, how we relate to slowing down and doing the practices. You know, you talk in the book about time and the whole idea of time we're living in this time that doesn't that has a beginning and end which i think also keeps us separate from the larger picture and being the interconnection and interrelationship with all of life does that make sense what i'm saying yeah yeah that's exactly what i wrote about thank you <laughs> well, that's why I'm interviewing you to find out about these things. <laughs> well, you know, see, in the West, we have only one notion of time. Right. Time that flies like an arrow. That you are born, you live, you die. And there's in many other traditions, there's a kind of time that turns like a wheel, a sacred time. And then there's no time. There's infinity. There's timelessness. So... What I learned from my teachers is that you could drop in between the moments and escape time itself. 
And in doing so, you broke free from death because death operates only within time. Time is stopped by death. You run out of time. And the ancients, in order to solve the problem of death, solved, had to solve the problem of time. And they discovered timelessness. They discovered infinity before time, after time. And these are actually the attributes of the quantum field. We, we talked earlier about the energy body that we have, the physical biological body and the energy body, the luminous body, that's part of the quantum field that is inseparable from the field. And the qualities of the field are non-locality, non-locality to space and non-locality to time. So when you step into the field, you are free of time, you're in infinity and timelessness. It's only when you drop back into the body again, into another body or this one, that you're caught in the grip of, of biological time. So the key for the medicine men and women, especially as they got a little bit older, was how do you take your consciousness with you beyond this biological life? How do you take it with you when you come to that great doorway of death so that you can step into infinity consciously? And what happened was that you had to imagine that your consciousness is like a drop of water. And when you die, I'm having a glass of water in my hand. I drop it into this glass of water and that drop is still in there, but you can no longer find it. It's now in a molecular state. And the task of the shaman was, how do you take your individuality, your integrity with you beyond death? Mm. So that death becomes a doorway and not an endpoint. And then you mastered the art of timelessness. And these shamans were called the death defiers. And they were common in the um, late Titicaca area. In late Titicaca, there's a, a site called Siyustani, an ancient burial site 3,500 years ago, where they have these gigantic circular towers that are 40, 50 feet high that were the burial chambers of kings and queens and shamans. And if you do ceremony there at night, like we used to do, you could see above the towers, these medicine people coming back. These wow. were their, their temporary homes. They're kind of the portals between the worlds. And they were these winged creatures that you find depicted in the iconography of these ancient peoples of the Tiawanaku people. So the task was how do we take our consciousness beyond death? Wow. And the, the lore of the shamans say that we have nine lives like the jaguars, like the cats do. And then in these nine lives, and if you're good, maybe you get 13 or 14. If you're terrible, you get three or four. In these nine lives, you have to acquire consciousness. You have to become a death defier. You have to individuate, not only psychologically and emotionally, like we're taught in our lives, but you have to individuate acquire the integrity of your bubble of consciousness, of that drop of consciousness, so that you can return back to this glass, to the ocean of awareness, but retain your, in, your notion of self. There has to be someone there to experience it. 
And if you don't attain it, so this is the difference with the Christian and the European belief that said that you had an immortal soul. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have to work on it. (laughs) And the shaman said, you have the promise, the possibility, but it's not guaranteed. You've got to wake up. You've got to become conscious. You've got to become immortal. And then you access infinity and get to reside in it. Hmm. So as we get older with this body of teaching, this is the the shaman's book of of the dead and of the immortals. You you learn that you need more time for your practice. You don't just jump up in the morning and go check your emails. You jump up in the morning and you go check your, your, the status of your residence in infinity. Hmm. The, uh, the Tao has a wonderful line. It says, uh, when you're walking through eternity, you have time for now. Totally. That's totally. a beautiful expression of what you're saying, I think. Yeah. Well, this, is, this is what the wisdom wheel is about. That's the north direction teachings, the hummingbird. And we didn't get to the east, which is the task that we have of returning mm-hmm. to dream the new world into being that our children's children can be born into and inherit and become stewards of. But this is the, uh, the task of the shamans. And you know, I... A couple of books ago, I said, I'm not writing another book. I've said everything I've had to say. And um, then I was compelled to write this one because they're the instructions for immortality. Mm. And, the, uh, and, and I know there's a big push now with the longevity science and people figuring out how to reverse cells and how to grow younger instead of older. But we're talking about the survival of consciousness beyond death. And these are the teachings that I was compelled to write about. And, um, and I did in the wisdom wheel. There's a couple of things still that I wanted to talk about. One of the things is in the Jaguar wisdom, there was a, a focus on grieving and, and mourning what was. And I, and I think that's a really important thing. We don't really know how to grieve. So we carry a lot of the baggage with us. So can you just talk a little bit about that process of grieving and of mourning and how that uh, allows us to wake up really and expand our ability to be present? Yeah, we tend to shut down those feelings when we have a great loss. Mm -hmm. And today we're not only grieving the loss of a loved one or of our youth or of our health or of our friends, but of of the earth of humanity. So we have to go through a process of of allowing the tears to come out, allowing the tears to water the plants and bring life back to the earth and finding the um, discovering that in these tears of mourning that we can shed, that they return life to us. That we don't need to carry those things that have died inside of us anymore in secret because then they begin to kill us. Mm-hmm. And in mourning them, we release them as an offering of, of, of water, of beauty to the earth and to the land. And it's such a profound healing process. Instead, we end up suffering the loss instead of the sacred process of, of the mourning. 
the alchemical the process. The morning is alchemical and it takes us to the morning, to the morning yeah. after. Yeah. So looking at the hummingbird medicine, again, we talked about time and moving through time. But one of the issues we didn't talk about was this mastering invisibility. Can you speak to that a little bit? What, what do you, what does that mean? Yeah, again, this, you know, the wisdom wheel is about the, the secret teachings. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them is learning to become invisible. Now, when I was 17 years old, 18, I could walk into a room and nobody would notice me. <laughs> and I that happens when you get older too. <laughs> I wanted everybody to notice me. And invisibility has to do with disappearing. Now, Rumi, really, the poet Rumi really says it best when he says to, to God, for I have ceased to exist, only you are here. Or when he says that there's a lover and the beloved that are kissing, and at that point, there's no kisser, no kiss, there's only the kiss. Mm. So disappearing has to do with getting yourself out of the way so thoroughly and completely that you can simply witness creation unfolding. Hmm. And it has to do with establishing congruence between who you say you are and who you really are. Mm -hmm. Congruence, yeah. That's a really tough one. It's not an easy one. Practice of invisibility is to be able to become no one. And therefore you can go to those places that no one can go to. Yeah, beautiful. And discover the mystery. You can become the mystery. No longer yeah. need to explore it. You are a mystery onto yourself. So we got a couple minutes left. I wanted to look a little deeper also to the eagle medicine and to really look at the shifting our our view to one of what's possible rather than what's wrong and how uh, to create to have more creativity innovation uh, to work with our own with our destiny so maybe you could speak a little more to that journey of yeah. resacretizing you know, the world I was having lunch with my sister and brother-in-law and uh, it's amazing how in three minutes, they could tell me everything that was wrong with the government, with the U.S., with the Republican Party, with the Democratic Party, with, in three minutes. But they couldn't tell me what was wrong with them, why they were not happy. Or probably what to do to fix it. <laughs> Especially what to do to fix it. <laughs> so the fixation yeah. on what's wrong reinforces what's wrong. So the, the way, you know, I love what that quote attributed to Einstein, that the way to, um, to come up with a new paradigm in science is not to dismember the old, but to discover, discover the new one, discover the new rules of how the universe works. And then the old rules tend to disappear. And they say that also about um, people in academia that have tenure, that... <laughs> The only way to get rid of them is for them to die off. So our continual focus on what's wrong is keeping us from what's right. And eagle medicine knows no obstacles. Eagles simply fly higher. 
you rise above it. You rise above it and you become part of the new paradigm in science. Like I'm really tired of the, of the new religion, which is science. That if it's not scientific, it's not right. You know, this is like the new religion. Come on, get over it. Most of science, especially in medicine, which is not real science, it's really an art form, is flawed. Physics is pretty good, but even the physics of 20 years ago is dated, it's no longer near functional. So this addiction to a set of beliefs that provide you with a navigational chart, a map is terrible. We have to become map makers and not only critics of what doesn't work in the map we're following, but we don't quite know how to come up with a new map and a new compass. And this is what yeah. the work of the eagle is about. It's about acuity, about vision, about dreaming the world into being, and not simply criticizing what doesn't work anymore about your own world. When I was reading about the eagle, I was really struck by the um, the impossibility of moving into that space from a place of individualism and competitiveness, and and how. Uh, the eagle is is connected to everything and that idea of being a rugged individual or a romantic individual and how that uh, creates competition and separation and the eagle is really about coming more in could you say a little more about that the eagle medicine in that sense yeah the uh, there's a um the eagle medicine there's a prophecy about the eagle and the condor coming right. together again about the ego which about the condor which is the heart the heart in south america and the ego which is the north north america's technology is it's the new wisdom that we have and how together technology without a heart is abusive it's exploitative it's dangerous actually and the heart without the resources that we need today remains stuck in what has been and this happens with many even shamanic practitioners today. They are stuck in what, in the way that things were done traditionally. Things were never done traditionally. They were just done traditionally the way your teacher did it, which was 50 years ago. It was always filled with innovation. It was always in the moment. It was not repeating a formula. That's what priests do. That's what religion does, not spirituality. It's always changing spirituality. It's emergent. So it's, it's emerging, continually yeah. emerges. Mm -hmm. So the practice of ego medicine is of finding your own wings mm -hmm. and using them to soar your own wings, yeah. not somebody else's. And then flying wing to wing with the great spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's the um, and that's the great that's the great practice that we have before us today. Yeah. Alberto, it's so good to be with you. I just wanted to give you a chance if there's anything else that you wanted to say about being an earth, becoming an earth keeper, which is of course what all of this is about. And also any programs or anything you wanted to tell us that we haven't covered. We have the Earth Keeper Summit, which is happening in a few months. Mm -hmm. And this is a summit event where we have about a quarter million people attending with the cutting edge in, in science, together with the ancient wisdom, together with the, the new world dreamers that we all are. So I invite you to join that, it's free. 
And perhaps you could partner with us, uh, Michael, in this program. And then the, um, the other is that we have our online energy medicine trainer, which is what my work is about today, is training modern shamans versed in the ancient energy medicine ways and in cutting edge brain science. So we have to learn a little bit of both today. But thank you, Michael. It's great to be with you. A pleasure as always. Thank you, Alberto Vialdo. It's just always a joy to be with you. Thanks so much for being on We Earth thank Radio. You, Michael. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.